Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Haggai 2 verse 13 through 14. Thank you for joining us for another episode of our Deeply Rooted Faith podcast and welcome to our new listeners. My name is Marge and I'm just so excited to have you guys here with me. We simply exist to glorify the name of Jesus Christ and spread the gospel. So join us as we journey through what it actually means to be deeply rooted in him. Thank you for joining us for another episode of our Deeply Rooted Faith podcast. You guys could be anywhere right now, but you are here. So which means that the Holy Spirit prompted you to be here to listen to this message. So I would like to take this moment just to say thank you. Jesus and I would like to thank you for being here. I'm actually a little sad, right? And the reason for this is because this mini series will be coming to an end. It makes sense spiritually because the number three signifies completeness, so I get it. Hopefully, you guys had a chance to check out the last two episodes. The Holy Spirit has been speaking about what he is requiring of us, his remnant, as we enter in, in, into this new era. I'm grateful to be in this space where I'm able to hear from him. You know, in the space, in the space of humility where I get to share the word of the Lord, where I get to share his heart with you guys scripturally. I believe the Holy Spirit has something to say to the body, which is his church, and to his remnant. If you would like to know, then you'd have to stick around. So before we get started, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word that you are about to dispense in today's episode, your living powerful word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that has the ability to cleanse and sanctify us and bring us to a place of reproof and correction. Father, I present myself to you as a broken vessel. I claim no righteousness of my own, but I know that it is through the power of your Holy Spirit that I'm able to speak your words with boldness, power, and authority. We permeate the airways with the love of Christ. Father, I pray for the ears of your people to be circumcised. Remove their hearts of stone. Give them a new heart. Open their understanding that they might, comp- that they might comprehend your scriptures, for you are the ultimate teacher. Father, do what you please. And as I always say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Jehovah, my rock, my strong tower, my redeemer, my everything. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Haggai 2 verses 10 through 19. We're still reading out of the ESV translation. I'll give you guys a few minutes um, for those who are working from home or are at home or in your office, wherever you are. For those who are driving, you guys can always go back and verify the scriptures at a later time. And it reads, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said no. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. How did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider, from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is the word of the Lord. Whew. Holy Spirit, thank you for going before me because apart from you, I am nothing. So there is so much to unpack here, right? So here we are again where the Lord of hosts is making yet another appeal through his prophet Haggai. Where he, where he proposes two questions to make a point. He used these two analogies to compel the reflection of a people upon their uncleanness before him. In the subsequent verses, we see the Lord of hosts making an appeal to the law. Keep in mind that we're still speaking of the Mosaic law. Back in those days, the priests were to know the Old Testament, and whenever a case arose which was not specifically covered by the law, the people's plan of action would be to bring the matter before the priest, and the priest would interpret the word of God based on its principles. On the last two episodes, the Lord spoke candidly about the rebuilding of one's heart and of his temple. He called, he called forth his remnant out of a place of complacency. He pricked our hearts to consider our ways of doing things. He encouraged us to work and not to fear because his spirit is in our midst. And, and now he is making an appeal to the law to explicate the principles of holiness because we have forgotten what it means to be holy. Before we get started, we're going to define the word holy. Holy means exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. The Hebrew word for holy is kadash, meaning apartness or sacredness which may apply to divine attributes. The idea of holiness coincides with oneness, wholeness, and life. So in order for something to be holy, it means that it needs to it has been set apart. So holiness is a state of being holy. Now that we have a better understanding of what holiness means, we're going to delve into the word. Holy Spirit, help me to layer this in a way that brings clarity to your people. So the Lord sent his prophet Haggai to the priest with a twofold inquiry. 
This inquiry was to bring the people to a state of corrective discipline. In the subsequent verse, the text proceeded to let us know what the Lord of hosts views as holy and also what he viewed as defiled. And because the Lord is immutable, we know that he does not change. So those same views still applies today, just like it did back then. Let's go ahead and take a look at the two questions. The first question being, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with, he, um, with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said no. Now, if we were to rephrase this question, right, what God was simply asking and is still asking is if holiness is transmitted by contact or we could say what happens when something holy touches something unholy does the unholy object become unho- does the unholy object become holy the answer to that is no now let's take a look at the second question if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these does it become unclean the priest answered and said it does become unclean so the question here is is unholiness transmitted by contact? Or what happens when something unholy touches something holy? Does the holy object become unholy? And the answer to that is yes. Notice the word used here is unclean. When I think of the word unclean, automatically the word polluted, the word um, impure comes to mind. What are some words that comes to your mind? The word unclean is defined as something dirty, filthy, more morally or spiritually impure, infected with a harmful supernatural contagion, also prohibited by law for use or contact. We've come to an age where we can't, we can't differentiate between who's common and who's uncommon. The word common means ordinary. Uncommon means rare, not readily found. They're very people that are supposed to be a representation of God's kingdom on the earth look just like the world. Their character, their lifestyle are incongruent with the things in which they preach. They are constantly modifying what it means to be a Christian to fit the mold of their lifestyle or their culture. The Lord says enough. For the gospel of Christ is not a call to, culture, to cultural compromise. We've compromised the gospel of Christ long enough. Lord, give me the boldness to humbly spread your truth and say this like it's emanating from my spirit. You know, many of us go through the rituals of going to church, right? Because it's the right thing to do. We serve on church committees. Some of us have been baptized. Some of us speak in tongues. Some will do anything and everything to meet the external requirements. But neglecting the most important principles of being righteous and holy before a holy God. Looking the part. Acting the part. But yet our hearts are far from him. Live how we want to live. Do what we want to do with the hopes that maybe we'll make it to heaven because we're not as bad as this person or, or, or that person. Beloved, just because you sin differently does not make you holy. Sin 
breaks our covenant. Sin breaks our relationship, our fellowship with God. You may not be fornicating, but you gossip. Your mouth is accursed. You covet. You're hypocritical. You're divisive. Your heart is full of idolatry. You treat others unkindly. You're prideful. Should I go on? I may be stepping on some toes here, but God is really concerned about our motives in this hour. He is tired of the religiosity. You want to see how the Lord sees us? He compares us to the Pharisee that stood by himself in a temple to pray. Let's take a look at Luke 18, verse 10 through 13 from the ESV translation. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What we see here are two people with different um, expressions of faith, right? One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The tax collector was righteous unto God because he understood that he was a, that he was a sinner. The same way he understood that his mercy could only come from God, contrary to the Pharisee, he trusted in himself. He trusted in his goodness. You see, religion will have you believing if you go through all the prescribed rituals, you are acceptable to God. But remember that salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So it was noticeable here that the Pharisee was a pompous individual. He walked into the temple with, with a flattered ego you know, the thing about ego is that it needs to feel special. It needs, it's all about self-absorption. John the Baptist said this on John 3 verse 30. You must increase so I can decrease. Speaking of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It's evident that, you know, there were no decreasing taking place. So it's safe to say that the Pharisee did not have an intimate relationship with God, thus making him unrighteous. Just look, just look at his boastful behavior. The Bible states, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So what we see here is a matter of justification, intimate relationship, an intimate relationship that justifies. God is really concerned about the things in our hearts that no one else sees. God is really concerned about the sanctification process of his temple, of his church, of his people. God is concerned about maturing the body into Christ-likeness. So in this hour, God is demanding and requiring for his people, his church, to return to true holiness. For the paths to sin are meaningful, but the path to holiness is one that is truly difficult to access. The Lord's appeal in this hour is to truly consider your ways. The word says, Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so, with every work of their hands and what they offer, there is unclean. 
I want you guys to take a minute to visualize this concept. For example, if I were to pour a bit of unclean water inside a clean cup of water, it automatically becomes unclean. Whether I poured a small amount or a large amount, the result will be the same. So it is with unholiness. It pollutes all that it comes in contact with. So here we have a people that the Lord is asking to work. They began the work, which he then promised that he would that he would be with them. But in the midst of doing the work, he says to them, the very work of their hands and what they offer is unclean. From an outside person looking in, one could very well say, well, weren't they doing the very thing that God was asking of them? That could very well be true, but I want us to pay close attention to the word there. And the word says, what they offer there is unclean. The word there here means altar. What is the altar we speak of? Well, we are speaking of the altar of our hearts. What is an altar exactly? An altar is a place on which sacrifices are offered. It is often used figuratively to describe a thing given great or undue precedence or value, especially at the cost of something else. So when you think about it, right, we offer up our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, meaning we surrender of something for the sake of something else. So my proposed question then becomes, what are we surrendering? Are we surrendering our ways, our wants and desires for the sake of God's will and all that he desires and wants to do through us? So you see, their unclean hearts made their service for God unclean, which meant that the very sacrifice that they were offering God or the very sacrifice that they were offering up to God was impure. Or one can say, or one can say their sacrifice was contaminated or their service was contaminated. What an insult and an offense to our holy God to think that we can serve him with any kind of heart. The Bible states, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. We can understand it. Only God can truly understand the heart of man, our behaviors, our conducts. I truly believe the reason why God proposed these two questions were because their hearts were fully in it. Their service wasn't with sincerity. Sure, they were building, but they weren't building with a contrite or repented heart. What actually happened was that they were concealing their transgressions, meaning they thought that their sacrifices would be acceptable to God, even though they were walking in disobedience. Family, hear me by the Spirit of the Lord. We can't conceal our rebellion. We can't conceal our disobedience, our pride, in a pretty little bow and present it as holy. Beloved, we cannot deceive God. He sees our hearts. He sees everything we do. And just in case you didn't know or you forgot, God finds no pleasure in things that are unclean, contaminated, or tainted because that's not his nature. God demands clean hands in a pure heart. For the word says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false 
and does, and does not swear deceitfully. God demands a holy people before him. The word says, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. This is the subtle danger of the church. We forget that unholiness has an infectious power greater than that of holiness. I'm going to repeat that. Unholiness has an infectious power greater than that of holiness. Let's go ahead and take a look at the word infectious. Something infectious is easily spread or it influences others in a rapid manner. I want to paint another picture for us. For example, when an apple began to decay, right? They emit gases. So if the rotten apple is mixed and with a group of other apples, the good apples can absorb these gases and begin to rot too. So it is with sin. It pollutes, whether it's done unintentionally or through ignorance. Could it be that God is calling forth his church, his people to true holiness, because the judgment for disobedience is death and destruction. For the Bible states, the way of the ungodly shall perish, which means if one is not in alignment with God, you will surely perish. An ungodly person is one that denies or disobeys God. One that is sinful and wicked. And because God understands the nature of our wicked hearts, because of his mercy and his love for us, he's given us multiple chances to get it right, just so we don't perish. Because his ultimate desire is that we all should reach repentance and know him as the savior of our lives. In a subsequent verse, we see God's corrective discipline as he calls the people to reflect upon their economic situation and their lack of progress. And it reads, Haggai 2, verse 16 through 17. How did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the vine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So what the Lord was asking them and currently asking us is, after everything you've seen, how did it turn out for you? We can even apply this to the current state of our nation and in the world. After everything you've seen during this pandemic, after nearly 500,000 deaths in the U.S. alone, not counting the rest of the world, 
how did it turn out for you? After I affected you in all the products of your hard work with blight and with mildew and with hail, you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. You did not turn to me. I want us to take a look at what God used to struck them. He used blight, mildew, and hail. Did you know that blight is a plant disease that spoils? What blight does is it damages the plant. It makes them brown. And eventually what happens is that the plant tissues, such as the leaves, the branches, the twigs, or even the floral organ leaves, they wither and they die. The plant tissues die due to the lack of photosynthesis. The word foes in Hebrew means light. The word synthesis means putting together. If we look deeper within the context of what we know about light, what we know for certain is that God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. And so one can conclude that it is the light of God that helps us grow. It's vitally important that we see that these plants rely on the energy of the sunlight to produce the nutrients that it needs in order to survive and grow. Which means if they wither and die, it simply means that they weren't able to absorb the light energy that was required for their survival. Could it be that God affected them with a disease that spoiled them because they were no longer absorbing the very light source that was supposed to produce out of them the nutrients they needed to stay stay alive? So therefore, they withered and died. Now let's go ahead and take a look at mildew. So mildew is a fungi, right? Fungi produces spores. What generally happens with mildew is that the spores, which are reproductive air particles, come through the air and attack the leaves and other soft target of the plant body. Some can cause diseases by producing toxins that can affect plants. If we're to if we were to look at mildew from a human health perspective, if one were to inhale a large number of spores, it can create health issues. Lastly, he struck them with hail. Hail is produced by a change in the atmospheric pressure. I don't know if you've ever been outside during a hailstorm. These little ice balls hurt. You can feel the ping when it hits your skin. So. What hail does, it damages crops, it damages the plants, it damages the trees. Please note that hail was one of the 10 plagues that struck down everything that was in the field in all the, in all the land of Egypt. So what we see here is a similar verbiage to Haggai 1 verse 11, where God withheld the dew and called for a drought because of their disobedience. This is in concordance with a similar passage that I was led to read, and it is Deuteronomy 28 verse 22. Let's take a look at it. The specific verse speaks on the curses for disobedience. And it reads, The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. Family, hear me by the Spirit of the Lord. 
We need Jesus to help us uncover the parts of our hearts and the areas in our lives that are unclean. As I was meditating on this specific verse, I thought about the unfailing love of God and His mercy. And as His presence filled the room, I began to weep. It is in those moments, family, when I look at my life and all I see is a vapor. Being one breath away from God, not having any use of me on the earth. All I see is someone wearing a filthy garment. All I see is someone who is unworthy. All I see is someone who is worthy of death, but yet have life because I can fully experience Jesus the person. As I sat there in silence, the Holy Spirit whispered, it's a heart issue. It's always been a heart issue. And I was like, but God, instantaneously, Pharaoh's heart came to mind. You see, Pharaoh couldn't humble himself before the Lord of hosts because he saw himself as a God. He wasn't willing to go lower because he was operating under the spirit of pride and rebellion. And because of his pride and rebellion, he became an enemy of God. Not only did he resist the Lord's command, he also rejected him. Exodus 5, 2 is the perfect example of this. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. You see, God gave Pharaoh a way to his pride, stubbornness, and rebellion because he hardened his heart the first chance he got. Though he was given multiple opportunities to repent, he refused. Then I was like, God, how, how, how does this pertain to your church and your people? The Holy Spirit whispers, so it is with some of these people operating in my church. They have hardened their hearts and have rebelled against the truth of who I am. Some don't see me as good enough to hold the throne of their hearts. So it is with these people just like Pharaoh. Because they refuse to repent, I, the Lord, will harden their hearts. I will give them away to their stubbornness and rebellion unless they turn to me. Hear me. Hear me, family. Hear me by the Spirit of the Lord. See to it that you do not harden your heart that you do not rebel and disobey God in this season for whatsoever you sow you will reap the harvest the word says how did you fare when one came to a heap of 20 measures there were but 10 when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures there were but 20. 
The truth is, family, the people's disobedience was not for not turning to God was a direct correlation between their expected agricultural harvest and their lack of progress upon building the temple. In the subsequent verse, we see God showcasing the principles of a transformed heart posture. And it reads, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So what is the implication of this verse here? The word since here introduces a state in the past that is still continuing in the present. What I found interesting was that the Lord of hosts asked them to think carefully is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. The word indeed here is an indicator that holds true that the seeds have been planted, despite the fact that they saw no harvest. What this showed me is that the heart of man is the soil or the ground in which those seeds are planted, which means that one have to nurture and cultivate the environment in which that seed have been planted. For the word says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that I may that it may bear more fruit. Could it be that they had not seen any harvest because they were still in their pruning process or their pruning season? Their pruning season consisted of repenting of their conduct and the reorienting of their thought processes. Notice that God promised to bless them after they had gone through the process of subduing their will for the sake of God's. And after their hearts were right with him. Only then, God promised to accelerate their harvest by stating But from this day on, I will bless you. Blessings come when we are in alignment. Blessings come when we're obedient. Blessings come when our heart posture is right with God. Blessings come when when we decide to make up our minds and pick up our cross to follow him. For the word says in Leviticus 26 verse 1 through 4, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments, and do them, I will give you your rains in their season. And the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. It's vitally important for you guys to see this. So we know that God's word is an incorruptible seed, right? And when a seed is planted, it begins to grow and produce. And because God's word is infallible, it has to manifest produce and accomplish the very thing the Lord intended. Whether the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, they must become distinct. And this distinction is what helps. So we, the church, we, the remnant, does not look like the world. This distinction is what we call holiness. Holiness is repentance. Holiness is humility. Holiness is is dying to self. 
we, the church, are in a state of emergency. And the Lord is waking up his people out of their idleness, out of their place of complacency. And he says to take your position and work. Be distinctive. Be uncommon. Be separated unto me. Be holy. For I am holy, says the Lord. The Lord is calling forth his church, which is, which is his bride, to be spotless with no blemish. The Lord is tired of the religious act. He is looking for a people who will be obedient. He is looking for a people who will submit under authority. He is looking for a people whose soul desires are the things of him. The Lord is making an appeal in this hour, and it is to repent and to turn to him. And for those who fail to respond, this is the warning. The Holy Spirit woke me up at 5 a.m. and directed me to read Hebrews 3, verse 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. On a day of testing in the wilderness, where your father has put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And it is said, Today, if we hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell, fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word. Jesus, we bow down before your throne. We acknowledge your sovereignty. Oh, Abba, Father, we claim no righteousness of our own. But just like the tax collector could not lift his eyes up to the heaven, Father, because he felt unworthy to look up to you, Father, we take we take up that same posture. We take up that same posture. We take up the posture of humility. We take up the posture of repentance. And we say, just like he said, God, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, we say, God, be merciful to us, for we are sinners. Father, wash us, cleanse us with the blood of Jesus Christ, that we may be a holy people before you. Father, we lean on the words which you have spoken over us, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, Father, we thank you for mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, Father God, because apart from you, we are nothing. We just want to glorify you. We just want to praise you. We just want to share your message with the world. We just want to share how good you are. So, Lord, in this moment, I just pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We just thank you for your mercy. We just thank you for your mercy. We just thank you for your mercy. Oh, the mercy of God. Oh, Father, have mercy. Have mercy on your people. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy. Have mercy. Well, guys, this concludes our episode for this week. My challenge for you guys for this week is to repent. Allow the Lord to transform, restore, and renew your heart and your mind as you repent of your sins. I know it's not a popular message. I know it's uncomfortable, but we must be a people that repent. You know, perfection may seem unattainable in the light of the scriptures, but trust me, all you have to do is literally look no further than Jesus because sin will forever be presented in the life of a believer but trust me look no further than Jesus yes we all fall short sometimes that's just the nature of our lives but look no further than Jesus when we look at Jesus everything that seemed unattainable right becomes attainable because he was the perfect sacrifice so family do not let sin dominate your life abstain from the passions of the flesh allow the holy spirit to work out the process of sanctification in your life and as we heed to the command of being holy before a holy god we will become a holy people If you're wondering what true holiness really looks like, well, I want us to take a look at 1 Peter, verse 21 through 24. This passage here is the blueprint of of how to live a godly lifestyle, right? And it reads, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow any steps. Number one being that he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. Second, he did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Third, he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And fourth, He personally carried our sins 
in his body on a cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. My prayer is that I hope that these steps will help you in the right direction as far as, you know, looking more like Christ. Because that's the ultimate goal for us to look more like Christ. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for rocking with Jesus and I. He's just the best, you know. Um, And to be quite honest, I really don't know where I would be without him. And I just want to share him with you guys. (laughs) That's literally all it is. Um, So thank you again. You guys have a wonderful week. Um, Be blessed.